и футбольное обозрение присоединяется к многочисленным поздравлениям с победой. The voters of Moscow in their first free election have overwhelmingly chosen Boris Yeltsin to represent them in the new Soviet parliament. He won 89% of the votes, soundly beating the official Communist Party candidate. He says it proves the need to speed up reforms. Mr Gorbachev, who had him sacked from his party jobs, says not everyone may be pleased with the election results, but the Soviet people have spoken. Спартак провел, наверное, один из лучших матчей в этом сезоне, и действительно ни одному из футболистов нельзя предъявить претензии. Казалось не только мастерство, но и характер команды. It was to Bonholmstrasse in the north of the city that most Berliners hurried to check what was happening. It was here in the past that East Germans, with permission to travel, were filtered in and out of the country. But tonight there were no filters, no checks. At midnight the border was thrown open, and the crowd surged through the open gates. И вторая половина матча началась атаками хозяев поля. Спартак получил право на штрафной, и Кузнецов изменил направление полета мяча. 1-1. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Greatest Games podcast on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller. Opposite me, as ever, is Jonathan Wilson. And on the pod today, we have Sasha Guranov, football writer, broadcaster, and contributor to the BBC, among many others. Sasha, pleasure to have you with us. Pleasure to be here. Now, we go back to 1989 for this one. Spartak 2, Dynamo Kiev 1 in the Soviet Top League, was it called? Uh, I think or Supreme League. It's, it's, it's actually technically probably the highest league. The highest league. Yeah. Okay. Can't go above, above the Soviet highest league. Either way, it sounds very Soviet Union. <laughs> yeah. I think we can all agree. Yeah. The mighty league, as, as I affectionately call it. <laughs> um, but, but it was Spartak 2, uh, Dynamo Kiev 1. Uh, why have you chosen this game? Well, this is um, a game from my childhood. I mean, I, uh, I, grew, up, I grew up back in the USSR. I was yeah, don't um, be fooled by the scales, twang, <laughs> yeah. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this is all a massive joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I was uh, I just turned nine at the time, and I th- '89 season is probably the one that I rem- my, f- my first season that I really remember. I mean, I remember a bit of '88, Euro '88, the Soviet team that finished runners up. But I think it was the first season when I properly watched football. And for Spartak Moscow, whom I you know, grew up watching as a child. Um, this still probably remains my, my biggest memory mm. and this is the one outstanding football memory I suppose I have from the Soviet Union mm. and it was a very important game Jonathan as well oh it's a huge game I mean, I mean it's always an important game with those two no matter what the <laughs> yeah I mean they're, they're, they're huge rivals they're the yeah. two most successful teams in Soviet history they represent two different conceptions of the game How I mean and as ever with those stereotypes <laughs> you can pick holes all over them but essentially mm. they represent two different conceptions of a game and also you know penultimate game of the season it ensures Spartak win the title um, Dynamo were finished third that season but they were already out the race but it was between Spartak and, and Nipro um, and, and so Spartak had to win to, to, to guarantee the league and the final week of the season Spartak had a much tougher game than Nipro so mm, yeah. it was a game they needed to win It was for the last game of the season just a bit of a bit a bit of context around it was, was in Vilnius. And then you don't think of Lithuania as a football-playing country, but Spartak had an abysmal record there. What did Zalgiris finish fifth? Zalgiris, uh, I think, finished about fourth or fifth. They finished fourth, 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 fourth yeah. So, yeah. So they finished third in 87, which was, I think, the highest finish. But they were just awkward. I think 
maybe they were a bit like Stoke. Maybe maybe I'm being a bit unfair. <laughs> but but the fancy Spartak Pul- Pul- yeah, yeah Pul- Stoke. <laughs> but the fancy Spartak team when they went there, they just always struggled. Um, well, if you can't do it on a wet, windy night in Vilnius, <laughs> well, <laughs> exactly. What can you think? Uh, absolutely. And also, it was a nightmare situation in '87. Spartak only lost, I think maybe three games that season when they won the title. Um, but uh, Stanislav Cherchesov, who was in Nets for Spartak Moscow in 89, had his one appearance of the season in 87 in Vilnius. Spartak lost 5-2 and Cherchesov had an absolute mare. Mm. So it was all, yeah. Was, and Nipro were home to Torpedo, who finished fifth in the end the following week. So mm-hmm. you expect Nipro yeah. to win that uh-huh. and Spartak have a tough game. Yeah. So, uh, so they had to go for it. And, and, and Spartak, am I right in saying they drew level with Dynamo Kiev, twelve title wins each when they won that at that, that stage. That at that stage, yes. Dynamo Kiev would go on to win another one, and then of course when the Soviet Union sort they of still fell, have the bragging rights. They have the bragging rights <laughs> yeah. of that uh, of that of that one league title. But the, the rivalry, from my own research of this, did it, did it really kick off in 1976 uh, between these two? Or had it always been? There? Well, I, th- I think we'll go back a bit further because um, I mean, all right, you've you've seen it in England, particularly around Brexit. There is. Metropolitan elite in London and then there's everywhere else, the mm. common man. Uh, I think if you go somewhere like, say, former Soviet Union, the capital, Moscow, was always seen as something like a separate thing on the pedestal and everyone was, you know, trying to rival it. And when it comes to the 60s, for the first time, the dominance of the Moscow teams in the Soviet League, which has been going on since late 30s, is challenged. And Dinamo Kiev is one of those challenges. And then, of course, you have the reform of football. You have Maslov coming in. Who was a Moscovite, of course. Exactly. But did reform... uh, Mm -hmm. Essentially, the man who... I don't want to say he invented pressing, but he he certainly uh, popularised its use, was incredibly effective in its use, and he created a school of football, which, Mm. I mean, you can make a very, very good case that you go two steps down the line from Maslov and you get to Jürgen Klopp. Mm. The modern German pressing... Comes from Maslow influences Lobanovsky. Mm-hmm. Lobanovsky was at Dynamo for, I mean, on and off for the best part of thirty years. And in 1984, Dynamo had a training camp um, just south of the southeast of Stuttgart, mm-hmm. and they play against Ralph Rangnick's. I think I can't remember sixth or seventh division side. Mm. Rangnick was playing manager, and he sees Dynamo and thinks this is a style of football I've never seen before, mm. and he begins to investigate it. And he then introduces that at Stuttgart when he gets, you know, he works in the youth team and whatever. And then, you know, he's now in charge of football at Red Bull. And the reason he's appointed Nagelsmann is because Nagelsmann plays his type of football. So, yeah. well, I think the the, the tactical influence uh, and ideas in Eastern Europe are very much underappreciated in, I suppose, Western Europe. And if only there was a journalist who really banged that <laughs> around, uh, for that. But uh, anyway, Sasha, but, but there is also an interesting point with. Um, uh, with Dinamo as well in the 70s. Um, so they win the Cup Winners' Cup against Ferenc Varos in 1975 and they, they do hammer them. And then they meet Bayern Munich uh, in the Super Cup and they batter Bayern Munich. And this is Bayern Munich after the second consecutive European Cup win. So I think already at that time, I think people like Beckenbauer will take notice. My God, these guys can do it. And also um, one of the goals that was scored against them at the Olympia Stadion by Blochin. Blochin takes on half the Bayern Munich team, outruns them, and then um, puts Dinamo in the lead. So I think something started coming through. I think it's Zelensov. So the reason why they are, they are able to do this um, is because Lobanovsky also plays science. Uh, mm-hmm. He looks at training, he looks at analysis, and he recruits a guy called Zelensov. He is like, I think, PhD in maths. And uh, I mean, if, no football background. He's yeah, just a exactly. Fan. He, yeah, he's just, just a fan, but he's a scientist. And you know what? Uh, one thing that Russia did, or Soviet Union did have, is a massive oversupply of scientists. And I mean, <laughs> I, we, should, we should do a Dynamo Kiev 
podcast and talk about them more specifically. Mm, sure. But I realise your your brain is going mm, in all sorts of directions. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, to condense it down must be very difficult. Uh, you know, Lobanovsky was very very disillusioned with football. Lobanovsky mm. had been a sort of dilettantish left winger. Mm. You know, he 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 hadn't liked Maslov at all. Maslov had got rid of him from his Dynamo side, and. He, yeah, long enough he was drifting out of football. And he wasn't a, even that interested, to be honest, and by the sounds of it. He's at a, you know, he, he was a mathematician. He was a very gifted mathematician. He'd mm-hmm. won all kinds of awards for math as a student. Mm-hmm. And he, he then, he trained as a plumber, I think. And then he, he meets Zelensov just at a party. And Zelensov, sort of as his fan, just sort of buttonholes him and then says to him, and by the way, this is how we can use computers in football training. And a light goes on <laughs> Lobanovsky's head. <laughs> Advantage. And, and, yeah. and there's a ripple wave and bills are picked up on that somewhere <laughs> in the, sort of the ethos, yeah. Um, what about the manager for, for Spartak in this game, um, Oleg Romanatsev? Because he's he's quite the figure in... Uh... So, so yeah, so this is, this is Romanatsev's first year in charge yeah. uh, of a major club. He's 35, isn't yeah, he? So he's, he's young, young uh, but he was a left-back for Spartak uh-huh. Moscow. Uh, including under Beskov, uh, who whom we probably arrived to in a couple of minutes. <laughs> um, so he is sort of retired in the 80s and he took on a couple of smaller jobs. I think in 88, he managed Spartak Orzhenikidze, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Spartak Vladikavkaz, a.k.a. You know, the, the place where people get sent if they're really naughty on the European campaigns uh, in the 90s. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll be honest with you, even though it's football, it sounds terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, um, so, so he did an okay job then and then he gets called up uh, to replace the manager. Mm-hmm. So the manager, Beskov, he is not a Spartak man. He never has been until 1977. Uh, when Spartak find themselves in the second division for the first Which time in history. Which is what you referred to in 76. Yes. Dynamo, their victory over Spartak is what relegates Spartak. Yes. Mm. So that that would take the rivalry to another level, perhaps. Uh, the, well, well, sorry, what but, but the rivalry between Spark, Spartak and yeah. Dynamo. Yeah, so so, so this, this this would take... I mean, that's serious bragging rights. Uh it's in, it's in the, the relegated oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. 76. So, but, but I think at that stage, I think they are so far apart. And also it's so early, I think, in Lobanovsky's career. I think it's Spartak are more self-absorbed about themselves being relegated. So I should think of Liverpool relegating Manchester United. But okay. I don't think at that stage, perhaps it would have been sort of... Okay, all right. So, so, so Spartak would be too focused on their own misery, okay, I, I okay, think, okay. in this situation. There was lots of brouhaha to keep them up or not. But Dynamo Kiev also did play an additional part in this because in 1975, when Lobanovsky wins everything, mm. so he wins everything, he is like the champion of the Soviet Union, champion of the world. So what happens in 76? So in 76, you have the Euros. And in 76, you have the Montreal Olympics. And who is now basically free to construct this Olympic team? It's Lobanovsky. It's full of Dynamo Kiev players. So basically, I'm literally full. Literally, literally full. 11, There's like 11. eleven, eleven players that I've, I've got. I've got the uh, lineup somewhere here. But basically, it's full of it's full of Dynamo Kiev players. So what does he do? He messes with the league. So the first half of the league is basically written off mm. as like this is this is the spring championship. There's no relegation. The second, <laughs> yeah. So so as to prepare his team eventually for this golden Montreal, which they don't get. Which where they finished third, and, and then, he himself subsequently admitted he he worked the players yeah. too yeah, hard. Yeah, worked the players and too hard. Imagine, rebel. The but, players rebel. And I'd imagine in, in the seventies in Soviet Union, unlike in say modern era Great Britain, where a bronze medal is still something to be celebrated, is seen as a failure. Even the even the way I think the way he sort of set it up yeah. and how much effort went in, into into yeah, to I ensure mean, yeah. the top place, I think he had to deliver. Oh, absolutely! And he didn't, and he found some fall guys who were supposed to be his players, uh. and then they rebelled. The players went absolutely mad. So he worked together with Basilevich. And I mean, for me, it's quite hard to tell who was the most important guy here, but it seems to be Basilevich did have at least half the brain of the partnership, but perhaps Lobanovsky was slightly less harsh on the players. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, when you talk to players who play for Lobanovsky, they all have respect for him and not many of them loved him. 
No. Um, they, you know, it, it was definitely not a warm relationship. And I think that, yeah, they needed that intermediary to 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 take, you know, the, it was almost like Lomonovsky's uh, conception of a game was so sort of advanced and his intensity was so bright. You needed a filter mm-hmm. uh, because players, you know, they, they couldn't handle that, that intensity. Well, it's almost a bit like previous pop we talked about Renus Mikel's, you know, that kind of intensity that he would bring. And actually when he left, people were actually quite, Quite pleased to see the back of yeah, him I mean, in some yeah. senses. Yes, uh, and the, the difference here is you can just bring in a filter. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I think you can make a case Bielsa's most successful spells yeah. have been when he hasn't actually had dealing with the players. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. So, so, so we have this filter situation here. So the filter is the one that gets binned off. Lobanovsky stays, players stay, everything's come comes down a little bit, and at the same time, Spartak Moscow get relegated. Uh, so, I mean, Spartak Moscow here are sort of victim of circumstance. At the same time. Curious things can keep happening to them, which Spartak Moscow will point to mm-hmm. as them being natural disadvantage. For example, 1975, uh, the captain Olshansky, who is 27 years old, he's the main centre-half, gets drafted by the army suddenly at the age of 27. This does not happen. And, th- and he ends up like someone like Kamchatka, which is basically <laughs> out by Japan. Um, and eventually he works his way back to CSK Moscow. But this is the sort of thing I have to deal with. Spartak Moscow started the 75 season with like eight clean sheets and nine. And then straight afterwards, they start losing like 4-0 and everything. So it's kind of hit them hard as well. Mm-hmm. So 77, everyone's a bit uh, distressed. Uh, guys don't know what to do. Perhaps there's a thought that the managers before... Um, uh, were a little bit too soft on the players, so they finally make a make a jump. And Nikolai Starostin, who is like the mayor, the guy who looks effectively looks after the club, finds the sponsorships for them, even in those Soviet days. Uh, he uh, decides to bring in Beskov, and Beskov doesn't want to go. He's a Dynamo Moscow man. He went on tour of uh, Britain in 1945. You know, he managed the USSR back in the day. He never had anything to do with Spartak, but from what I understand, basically the party said. Uh, Mr. Beskov, you have mm. to go and help this team out. And he goes, well, I can't go against the party. And they keep asking, so I might as well go. Yeah. And he goes and they go up. Uh, they go up straight away. after. Is that be seen as, as, as government interference nowadays by FIFA? Well, it's, <laughs> well, it's I party. Suppose those, the... <laughs> I suppose those conversations happen behind closed doors, though. <laughs> well, no, these conversations were actually quite public. People saw oh, well, this were. conversation goes, goes, go, were going on. But, you know, where does the party end? Where does the state start? I mean, it's... Uh, it's uh, it's it's USSR was an interesting place, but basically, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Beskov had to go, and, and right, and gone. But was, was, sorry, you finish mm-hmm. your point because I'm going to make something. No, uh, but basically, I'm, I'm saying so. Beskov arrives. He's he's a dictator. Yeah. Um. I think when Starostin is asked later, what's the difference between Lobanovsky and, and Beskov? He goes, well, perhaps they're both dictators, but perhaps Beskov is slightly more velvety. <laughs> uh, well, so, but by which I think he suggested he was more gentle but I think he was he was a pretty harsh taskmaster yeah, an, uh, iron, an iron fist in a velvet glove uh, yeah so may, may, maybe that so it just, just slightly softened the blow <laughs> yeah, as opposed to the but, but research, researching this you know am I right in saying that both sides in, in this game that we're focusing on Spartak Moscow and, and Dynamo Kiev they claim that they were sort of slightly anti-regime of the Soviet Union, but would that be in 1989? Um, or, or does this feed into your point about Moscow being a bit elitist and they're saying, you know, we, we're trying to represent, I mean, I suppose <laughs> trying to represent the workers and the common man would feed into the re- regime, but you see what I mean? So, so, I mean, Spartak Moscow always have tried to present themselves as the independent team. Right. Um, 
because they didn't have the sponsorship of the army mm-hmm. or the police or the railways or a big zeal factory or something like that. Right, so, so that would sort of like a, a catering. Yeah, so union. they were like, I mean, the, to be honest, they, they they could have ended up anywhere. I, th- I think yeah. I think that what the the thing about the brothers Starostin, those four brothers, who kind of raised the club to be this professional behemoth, was that they um, they were unusual in the Soviet days, and that they'd go out and look for sponsorship. Effectively, if you, if you think about it, so I think possibly this is one of the reasons why when we get to the nineties after the Soviet Union collapses, Spartak do better than the rest because mm. the like the guys running the place knows how to wheel and deal. And it, it should be said about those brothers that they'd all serve time. Yeah, right. for wheeling and dealing when it's <laughs> for a little bit too far. And I, I'm pretty sure you looked at the documents. Uh, I, ha- I certainly read a lot about the documents, uh, but basically 1942, they get sent away uh, to the Gulags for embezzlement, defeatist talk, um, you know, basically nicking stuff during the war, mm. uh, helping and, yeah, people the, avoid the, the service. Sort of, uh, the, the myth is that, you know, they're sort of dissidents, but the, the, yeah, the actuality is it's... It's probably not. But um, one thing I would say, sort of, in the, not in quasi their defence, but first of all, I think for them to end up um, in Siberia, of course, in camps where they'll be looked after because everyone knows they're footballers and, you know, every camp commandant has a football mm-hmm. team that the competition to compete in. Mm-hmm. But for them to end up there, given that they would have had f- friends in fairly high places, is means that probably it was pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, because usually you'd find someone to cover you and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, the, the, the myth is that they, they were sent to the camps because they defended uh, Leventi Beria, who was in charge of Dinamo Tbilisi, but was also the head of the KGB, or the foreign of the KGB. So, you know, it's... It, it's easy to make the myth and to say and build on that. Yeah, Spartak over this sort of team of resistance, but it. But, but one thing I would say though about this um, corruption in the Soviet Union during the war was enormous. I mean, you know, if you're trying to say it, I don't send a train load of tanks to the front from like two thousand miles away. You're going to have to grease palms all the way through. Mm-hmm. People, people were taking stuff left, right, and centre. I think the thing to do was not to get caught, mm-hmm. and these guys did. And also, I mean, the, 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 I think a big thing is made of defeatist talk or they hate the motherland. Look, if you're like, say, in your 30s in the 1941 and the Germans are bearing down on Moscow, if you had half a brain, you'd be questioning what the hell is going on. Mm. Um, so defeatist talk can, you know, can range from, <laughs> from oh my God, we'll love the Germans to, oh, we might lose here. So I think there's a lot of factors there. I, it doesn't, it's, it basically to sum up, it doesn't sound to me like they were, the hands were the most clean of hands. Um, but there is also circumstances, but you know they they failed in what they were doing, and they ended up in the camps. And uh, as for word now, Kiev uh, somehow in, in a team of opposition to the state, mm-hmm. in the sense they're from Kiev and not from Moscow, sure. but in absolutely no other sense. <laughs> exactly, yeah. they're the KGB. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know how else do you want to put it? Yeah. <laughs> and Lobanovsky knew how to pull yeah. the right levers. Yeah, yeah uh, but 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 also I think it's important to point out they weren't just the KGB; they were the Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, so. So one thing that gets thrown at Lobanovsky is, and even by Beskov, I mean, Beskov and Lobanovsky got on very well, very respectful. One thing that Beskov sometimes would say is like, ah, I like him, but you're not f- fixing games. I mean, he could have probably cut that out. What does he mean by that? So to, to, cut, to, to slightly summarize, if there are several Ukrainian teams in the top Russian flight, uh, top Soviet flight, and there is a team that the Republic promotes, Dynamo Kiev, the other teams will be encouraged to It'll help them along a little bit. Now, if you look at the results, it's not that obvious. Uh, I think probably the only obvious one is Zarya Varashilovgrad. 
away defeat in Kiev, home draw, away defeat in Kiev, home draw. The rest is sort of a mix and match. But what definitely was the case in the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic, as it was known at the time, was that uh, Sherbitsky, who was the um, basically the main communist in the Republic, did all he could to help Dynamo. And in terms of conditions, looking at these results, I mean, no one, I don't think a single player has actually gone on record to say, oh yeah, this was fixed. Uh, but there's even if you speak to, speak to people in Kiev, they kind of say, well, you know, uh, you had to fight battle against Moscow. You know, every little helps, if you like. Um, so there is. So when you speak about Dynamo Kiev, yes, there may be an opposition to Moscow, but they had they had they had a big country effectively behind them. Mm. All right, let's have a quick break, gentlemen, and then we'll uh, talk about the match itself. Нарушение правил со стороны киевлян. Долго футболисты готовились нанести удар. Наконец решился Шмаров и поверх стенки резаным ударом направил мяч в верхний угол. Это уже была победа и не только в матче, но и в чемпионате страны. Зрители отдали должное новому чемпиону. Спартак заслуженно завоевал золотые медали. Команда потерпела только три поражения, забила больше всех мячей. И хотя осень выдалась чрезвычайно трудной и насыщенной ответственными играми для спартаковцев, они выдержали и стали первыми в 12 раз. Welcome back to the Greatest Games podcast on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. So then... Um... After all the, the the chat about these two sides, this going into this game was an incredibly important one uh, because the league title was at stake. Spartak, um, if, uh, if if I'm right in saying, we're, we're ahead of uh, of Dynamo and uh, Nipro as well. Was well, Spartak were three points clear of Nipro? Yeah, who were two points clear of Dynamo. So Dynamo were out of the title race. Mm. Nipro were playing Zenit to a bottom. Well, we're, 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 we're in the relegation the zone. They were. And, and so you expect them to win that game as as they did two one in the end. Yes. Uh, so essentially, if if Spartak lose, Nipro are probably a, a point behind. As we said, Nipro had the easier game. Yeah. Final week of the season. If they draw, then it could come down to, to goal difference. Mm-hmm. If if Spartak win, the title's theirs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you talked you talked a lot about Lobanovsky in the seventies there, and, and so on. in nineteen eighty nine, what was how was he seen? Was he was he a sort of a was he was he a, on the wane slightly? Or was he still f- fully respected? I, I think if we look at nineteen eighty nine, um, first of all, overall picture, um, you know, it's the uh, Glasnost, Perestroika, Gorbachev, and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the times are certainly changing, but they're not collapsing yet. So I mean, you know, the prices of cars, the prices of bread, maybe stay stable. Mm-hmm. But if I remember correctly, eighty nine, we already had some rationing. I mean, I remember back at the late eighties, oh, yeah, late eighties. Okay. Um, so basically, one of the things hyper normalization set. Well, it's uh, or you could argue that opening the borders in eighty seven for import export kind of diverted everything to go abroad. Right. Um, okay. So we had. I remember we had tons of sugar in the kitchen because we used to be able to get like I don't know, one kilo of sugar per month, let's say. Mm. And well, we didn't do anything with the sugar. We didn't make anything out of it. So I remember just, the sugar just piling up in the kitchen. Yeah. But you know, you went and got it because maybe you might want to be able to trade it for something. So there were shortages. Uh, perhaps more than usual, but you know, in Soviet Union, we all had shortages. Um, in terms of Lobanovsky himself, within this whole thing, I think whilst the country was sort of undergoing transformation, I think I don't think there was a feeling that Lobanovsky was, you know, or Dynamo Kiev's dominance was undergoing any transformation mm-hmm. because um, 
Lobanovsky's time, you could see that there was two or three years of peak performance, then a drop-off, peak performance drop-off. Players rebel, 76, perhaps 82 as well. Then he comes back and they're on top again. I mean, I was watching um, the Cup Winners' Cup final from 1986 yesterday. Uh, I mean, it's just, I mean, I, I, guys, if, if, if you have half an hour, go out and seek it out. This is, um, so, so Dinamo, the blocking goal particularly, uh, but uh, but they could be five nil up, six nil up. Atletico, okay, Atletico Madrid finished fifth that season, um, in La Liga. Uh, they got, uh, filial and go actually, and they held Kiki Setien comes on as a second half sub. But after about 20 minutes, they just start kicking Dinamo Kiev players because they cannot get anywhere near them. And and it's it's one nil going the last five minutes and spot and Dinamo Kiev get two late goals, but the overall performance, the running, the intelligence on the ball, uh, the just just the movement of this team is absolutely extraordinary. I mean, it, mm. they, they're, they're, it's well, it, that, it, that's why I think the blocking goal is so kind of and it's obviously against exhausted mm. opposition, but, but essentially the ball is is you know, it starts on the left. And they you know, wait for a defender to come and play the ball inside, wait for a defender to come and play. And eventually you run out of defenders. It's almost like... It's rugby. And then blocking comes in at like, the right side of the box and dinks it over the keeper. Mm-hmm. Which is a great finish, but it's just sort of the, the sense of control. Mm-hmm. And, and but almost with the opposition is this sort of... You know, They're just there. <laughs> just manipulating them to yeah. where you want them mm-hmm. to be to create the space. It's quite ball constrictor-like almost in a sense, you know, with the... Just waiting for the opposition to sort of blink and show a little bit of. Well, except it's it's sort of provoking that it's it's sort of going into a space where you you force the opposition to come to you to yeah. create space yeah. elsewhere. Yeah. It's so smart the football, mm. and yeah, you know, as I say, they've worn them down to get them in that that, that position. But it, it. But also they go through. I I think if you if you think of Klopp, they go in waves because the first twenty minutes they absolutely batter them. Then they sit back a bit and you know, Atletico get off the ropes a little bit, have a couple of shots. Then they batter them again, and also there is there is a moment I think when. Baltica plays Zavarovin with this beautiful, I think, 40-yard ball. I think after that, Baltica does his Achilles in the game and has to come off. But Zavarov gets in between two defenders, one of whom nearly breaks his leg because he's about to actually go clear on goal. But the precision of play is just... It's, again, you think diagonal passing, you think the movement, you think the running off the ball and with the ball. It's it's something that looks really, really very modern. Mm-hmm. And this is 86. Yeah. So the, his opposite number, of Well, course. so we should, we should say mm-hmm. about Lovatsky oh, yeah. as well that, yep. that um, 88... The Soviets get into the final. Mm. And yeah, they'd beaten the Dutch in the group stage. Yeah. Uh, and if um, Kuznetsov hadn't been suspended. And Besonov injured. Yeah. Uh, Besonov is, uh, if, if I may indulge me for, for a moment, Besonov <laughs> is, um, was this number two uh, who could play anywhere. He could play at the back, he could play in the middle. He actually started off as a forward. Mm. Uh, 1977 under 20s World Championship. Um, he was a, I think he was a player of the tournament. Um, he scored two in the final, which um, Soviet Union won on penalties. Um, again, I think it was against Mexico. And he's an outstanding player. So he's there with Bal, who's the sort of sweeper in Dynamo Kiev team. Doesn't play this game. We'll mention it why in, in a bit. And there was also, I think, Baltacha is the other guy. But Besonov, I think, missing for the final. Kuznetsov, who is absolutely nails. He's this big ginger centre-half. Played for Rangers. Rangers. Yeah, he did, exactly. yeah, yeah. He, like players would bounce off him like mm. he steam, he would just steam through players so them two not playing in the final against the Dutch plus all the pressing they did against the Italians in the semi-final yeah. I, I, it just put them at a disadvantage because they destroyed Italy in the semi-final yeah well, I think particularly that semi-final against Italy mm. that was where the rest of the world went wow hang on yeah, yeah pressing maybe mm. maybe, yeah. maybe mm. that is the There's something. Yeah. yeah, but I think it was I think it was Lippi said after that game um, went, went up to Lobanovsky shook his hand and said we all play a pressing game now and it, so, so Lobanovsky in '89 is. He's, 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 he's I mean, been, he needs to rebuild a bit. He's been doing the job for twenty years, and he's still 
at the peak. Which is and incredibly that's incredible impre- thing for him. But yeah. he, he went on from another sort of, well, when did he die? 2004? 2002. 2002, maybe. 2002, 2003, something like that. But so another 10, 12 years, he has a career that's more than 30 years long where he's never not at the top. Mm. He might be, there might be little ways because, you know, you never, you never have a team at mm. its peak for a protracted period. We know that teams go in cycles. And I think Lobanovsky accepted that, didn't he? I think mm. he was one of the first managers to understand that, you know, it takes two or three years to get to the top. It takes one year to come down, two or three years to get to the top, mm. one year to come down. And he cannot be at the top for like forever. Yeah. Yeah. So they used to like absolutely like squeeze the life out of those players, out of those players, Zelensky, for example, 75 side uh, that won the Cup Winners' Cup. Uh, I think all but three of those players retired at the age of by the age of thirty one, mm-hmm. and so they were really, so they really get the results and then move on. Get so, so what about his opposite number then, Romantsev? As you say, he was thirty five, you know, young man into this one, yeah. but yet he's regarded, he's very w- well respected in, so, in the history. Of- so he provides a bit of a contrast with the previous season here. So Konstantin Beskov, so he's um, a very meticulous manager. Uh, he is an old school sort of this. Uh, um, dictator, but he has a great eye for a player. Uh, so he actually managed to, to bring in quite a few, like, like guys from all, all around sort of Russia to stack his team. Except a lot of them then leave after two three years because as soon as he thinks that they think they're bigger than the club, mm. they're out. Right. So, and I, I th- it comes to a head in eighty eight because for the first time under um, Beskov, Spartak don't finish in top three. Now back in Russia, or oh, back back in the Soviet Union, you don't think of winners or runners up. You think of gold, silver, bronze. So you want to be in the prisori, you know, you want to be among the medals. So for the first time, Sparta can't. Already, um, sort of Beskov pretends to resign in August of 88, before the season ends, because of, of course we'll play spring, autumn. And then some few play, most of the players go, yeah, yeah, we agree with that. And he kind of doesn't resign. And he goes, actually, I'm probably going to stay. I'm going to chuck all these players out. And then there is a bit of a player revolt. And Starostin, who is the the, the, the brother in charge of the club sides with the players as he often does and Beskov and Staristin was always sort of a manage, uh, sort of a marriage of convenience and this is when it comes to a head and the manager is out and the guy who comes in to replace him is the contrast because he used to play with half this team he's seen as softer more humane touch again players breathe um, and also he brings back half the team so he brings back the entire defense and he bring, brings back the goalkeeper who was in at Lokomotiv Moscow. Now that the Saev has left, so Chichesko is back in. So there is a new manager to impress and there is an atmosphere which is which is markedly different uh, to what it was under Beskov because I have to, we have to say, you know, Lobanovsky survives in very, various spells in Dynamo Kiev for almost 30 years. Um, Beskov was there for, I think, 12 seasons straight. So, you know, and Romantsev is there for... Romantsev was there 12? For tw- uh, until 2003, I think. he went 14 his years. Yeah, and so by the end, I mean, the drinking had clearly become a big issue for him, but at the beginning... At the beginning... And we should was, also say uh, Cherchesov goes on to manage Russia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah so he's the current manager of Russia. So, so people... <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, he was there in yeah, 2018. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so, so yeah. you know, I, I, I realise a lot of these players are not necessarily well-known in, in Britain, but, you know... The bald guy with the moustache, that's, that's, that's him. That's the goalkeeper. He's the, he's the one. He, he, he's the one. So so we have a, 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 such, a, such a different environment. And this is a Spartak Moscow team whose defence gets replaced. Spartak Moscow team who in seventh game of the season mm. go to Kiev with both teams. I think, they, I think they're first and second. And what happens in Kiev? They beat them 4-1. And they absolutely hammer them. Mm. And they... Bal speaks after the event saying... Bal was playing the sweeper in the middle of the defence... And basically, sport is Spartak style. Um, so we've, we've talked extensively about Lobanovsky style, how it's influenced on modern football. But Spartak are a little bit perhaps more old-fashioned, but they're a version of um, pass and move. And they're famous for the little one-twos. In Russian, they call them the wall. 
kind of he bounced it mm. off the wall off, off your fellow players as well. And Barley after the game um, says. Yeah, so they just play these one-twos around us, basically. By the time we rush to one, the ball's already gone. Mm. And uh, and you could see, like, the Dynamo Kiev defense is absolutely bamboozled because this is a very highly motivated Spartak team. Every game against Dynamo Kiev, I think there was an interview with Bubnov, uh, one of the fullbacks, uh, who said, look, you probably spend a month preparing for this game. Uh, you already start thinking as you're playing through the previous games to be at the peak condition because you know if you're not at the peak condition and you go to Kiev, you'll get battered. So you have to be at the top of your game. And this doesn't, you don't even have to come to the manager. From, from um, you know, under Beskov and under Romantsev, you know, you go to Kiev and you measure yourself, you're the true value of what you are. So Sparta come here absolutely prepared mm-hmm. and they tear them to pieces and the fourth goal is, is poetry because Rodionov, who is uh, uh, one of the Spartak strikers, one of the few Spartak players who used to make Lobanovsky sides for the national team, picks it up deep. Kuznetsov uh, runs out to meet him, but the ball's already gone. And I think it's the other way. So Bal goes out to meet him. The ball's already gone. The bounces of Shmarov. Kuznetsov comes to meet him. There's a huge gap where Bali was. Rodion, uh, Rodionov runs through, puts it away. 4 0. Game finishes 4 1. And it's emphatic. It really, really is emphatic. And in Kiev to this day, they still remember that defeat as, uh, you know, really, really hurt for, for a number of years afterwards. But that set an early marker. Mm. Spartak are in the lead. And they would have wanted then to ruin Spartak's party. Of course. And and so they go there. And uh, so there's the central player to, to the, sort of the main creator for Spartak. I mean, we've been, we, I've been itching to sort of introduce him all the way through. <laughs> is, is Cherenkov. Ash, yeah. I mean, Cherenkov is, yeah, Spartak fans of a certain age, they, they sort of, you see them tear up as soon as you mention him. Yeah. You know, mm. A, a a wonderful footballer, but with such a s- strange story. Strange, strange, very strange life. Um, so he he started off young. I think he a lot. Um, uh, I think Beskov brings him in when Spartak just make it into top flight. He's probably eighteen or something like that, and he stays at Spartak until uh, with with one small um, trip to France um, in the early nineties. Stays until ninety three. He is the record appearance holder. He is one of the top scorers. He's certainly. Um, in terms of um, goals and assists, he is, he has the highest numbers in Spartak's history. And amid of all this, this is a player who spent at least the last ten of his career and then the rest of his life struggling with mental health issues, mm. really, really serious yeah. mental health issues. So the first time this really became apparent was in '84, uh, when Spartak played Anderlecht in the UEFA Cup, and Anderlecht, of course, go on to win the UEFA Cup. Like, yeah, they beat Forest in semi-final. Mm. It turns out been fixing games all over the place, um, but they, yeah, a very, very good side as well as that. And um, Beskov, you know, as we said, a, a tough old school man. Yeah, he, he says to Shevchenkov, "I don't know why you've turned up. You're just here to get Frankie Vikatrin's autograph." And that appears to be, you know, certainly in myth. And I, I know that mental health issues are much more complicated than this. That appears to be the sort of the the final straw. And so for the second leg, he literally goes in the dressing room and gets Vikatrin's autograph and gives it back to Beskov, <laughs> and then disappears for a while. And it turns out he's basically in and out of hospital for the rest of his life. Uh, uh, yeah, and weirdly it seems to happen in even number of years. So um, Lobanovsky got a lot of criticism for not picking him for yeah. international tournaments. Well, it appears Lobanovsky actually wanted him in the side. He tried because I mean he could see a player. But but it you know Shevchenkov in those even numbered years when when major tournaments were that was when he was always suffering. I mean, yeah, so I mean there was um, a certainly. The other Dynamo Kiev players in those squads, and you know, they try to accommodate. You know, they, they, they try to get on with this guy. But yes, he certainly. Yeah, I think also in their understanding, he couldn't really handle the training, and and this is this is something that has come up before uh, in terms of Spartak players and Dynamo players coming to the national team and not understanding the other managers 
sort of methods, if you like, and having to learn it all when they go back. But yeah, with with, with Cherenkov, I, I I think it is unfair to say that um, Lobanovsky just didn't didn't pick him for whatever reason because yeah, as you said, they seem to have genuinely tried to accommodate him, and it was just impossible. And in the odd numbered years, uh, Cherenkov has imperious seasons. He's um, so Soviet Union. Uh, they had this concept of the 33. So at the end of the season, you have your first 11, second 11, third 11. It was quite a thing to get into these. And 83, 85, 87, 89, Cherenkov is there as amongst the, the first 11. And in the even number, yes, he's not. Uh, he also, I think, goes to France for a bit and then he comes back. I think he misses the entire 92 season again for the season. I think he, after he retired, uh, he plays like veterans tournaments, which I think get him out of this. Uh, I think, you know, reading now, um, uh, and, and, and sort of the history of the illness. They, they refer to it as Cherenkov's illness uh, in Russia. It seems to me it is a very, very deep depression. Um, well, uh, we've got a very long piece uh, written. I mean, Cherenkov died in 2014. 14, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. We, we got a piece in the Blizzard by Igor Rabinair just written just after he died you know, about his career and talking to teammates and fans. So if you want to know more about Cherenkov, mm-hmm. yeah, go to that. Yeah, yeah um, very much so. And, uh, but... <laughs> I think it is extraordinary that, um, you know, I think if you think of England's 80s and 90s, and, you know, we're only now, I think, really beginning to talk about mental health in football, whereas in Soviet Union, which you don't really think as a particularly... You know, accommodating country for you know not particularly well emotional 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 yeah. sort of place. They there was a leading the, the, possibly the greatest player in the history of mm. one of the two best sides. Spent his almost his entire career suffering with this, and it was well known. Mm-hmm. And people tried to work with it, but the, the major criticism was he was probably never allowed to get properly better, and they kept on rushing him back mm. when he wasn't completely well. Mm. Um, and yeah, so he very sad he died. I think he was only only fifty five. Uh, but in this game, in this season, he's the player of the season, nineteen eighty nine, and he drives this Spartak Moscow team in this particular match. So let's yeah. finally get onto the game. Here yeah. we go. <laughs> so <laughs> all two one, and then they won yeah, the league. All this, yeah, and then they went home, and everyone was really happy. Exactly. <laughs> Three minutes in, and. Uh, it's not a great bit of football. No. Mm. <laughs> so this, it's this a long bad. clearance, long ball belted over the top. <laughs> Litovchenko. So I'm sorry? From Litovchenko. Yes. Yeah, Litovchenko. Yeah. Uh, and um, Basulov and Cherchesov, so the you know, defender and the goalkeeper, both sort of go towards it. Basulov sort of pulls out to let Cherchesov clear it. And he just takes an air shot and misses it. It's I, a I think gift. he kind of gets the touch that kids Basilev and they're both standing there and then Protasov nips in it's a gift rolls into an empty net yeah yeah, I mean that is like you're going for the league title that that is not the ideal start you know but conversely Chechesov said afterwards perhaps maybe this settles a little bit because yeah we're 1-0 down now (laughs) so you know what's the worst can happen after this (laughs) I mean hindsight there is an interview with him straight after the final whistle and he's like I'm so tired Basically, I spent the entire game thinking about that moment. Thank God this is over. <laughs> yeah, now. right. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say yeah, yeah. that's the real. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the reality of it. Um, yeah. So, so it's a terrible start. It's a terrible, awful defensive. But it's, it's quite. Itself. There is. Um, I think it's quite funny the way next ten minutes happened because Dinamo Kiev try another couple of long balls over the top <laughs> just to see how these guys cope with it. And yeah, they just about get away, get away with it. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's actually it's 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 quite an enthralling game of football. It's very sort of end to end. I mean, it was hard to find it on on YouTube for because of 
the way the, the Russian language is written down. You know, Stop my, writing my, in Cyrillic. Indeed, yeah, yeah. My, my keyboard doesn't accommodate <laughs> for that. You know. Well, we, we can put a link to it on, on Twitter when, when it goes out. Perhaps so we should, yeah. If you're listening to this, look at our Twitters and we'll, <laughs> yeah, we yeah, will, yeah. Uh, we'll look at this link to it. See if we can sort you out, yeah. But it was, it, it was I mean, second half, it obviously goes it was a bit more crazy, but um, Spartak are, are trying to... Are Spartak are on top. I mean, yeah. I yeah. Yeah, they're dominating possession. Dinamo have the odd, odd counter-attack. Uh, and there's that really good save from, from Charnoff, from uh, Shalimov. Mm-hmm. Uh, but time, it's it's still 1-0. And I guess if you're a Spartak fan, you're, you're getting a bit nervous. Well, it would be a, it would be an awful scenario in which that you know you can clinch the league. Now, I know there would still be a point, but as you said earlier, mm-hmm. um, Nipro would have the easier game in the last weekend of fixtures. But the last thing you want don't is want your... to go to Vilnius no. to get them, you, so. do, you do not want <laughs> you're that. You're thinking Vilnius, Vilnius, Vilnius. But also, you don't want your fierce rivals mm-hmm. to, to, to put a massive dent in your title hopes as well. I, I think it's also worth mentioning sort of the, how the game is played uh, because... You can actually see that Spartak are really having a really good season, very technical side. Um, a lot of movement, uh, the, the front two, Valery Shmarev and Rodionov going wide, Cherenkov dropping deep, but also um, like number seven, Evgeny Kuznetsov kind of plays sort of wide on the right of a diamond. But I think the thing that actually really impressed me is how the back four plays, because um, Poznikov and Morozov, who are the two fullbacks, um, they, they switch sides actually. Kulkov goes goes out. Pasulko, who is the holding monument, the holding midfielder, goes up and down, and then Baslev sort of sweeps up. But it's a very dynamic formation, and, and compared to them, actually, Dynamo Kiev are pretty, you know, they're, they're pretty sort of steady, stodgy. And you know, Protasov, you know, the, the great Protasov, the, the, the great striker, sort of begins to increasingly feel, feel isolated up top. Mm-hmm. But definitely, Spartak need to do something here. Yeah, and uh, they they eventually get the equaliser. What is it about? Sixty minutes, fifty-seven minutes, fifty-seven minutes. It's a free yeah. kick wide on the right, and it's driven into low to near post, and Kuznetsov just, just gets a touch. Yeah, there's just a touch, and at this stage, I think Spartak are struggling a little bit, even though looking at the formation. You know, people saying Pep Guardiola against Liverpool back in the Champions League three-one-four-two. This is exactly the formation Spartak are playing in the second half because they're going for broke. They took off a defender and they put on Mostovoy. So. It'd be but, nice to see Mostovoy there because yeah. I think Celta Vigo with, with Mostovoy he was there for many years of course but here he's only a young man yeah um, he's very you know enthusiastic but I think the move is actually possibly a bit of a mistake because he ends up central and it ends up very congested so congested I, is the right I mean at times it's almost like uh, it's, you know if you've ever been to the sort of the Cubs or Scouts or something like that in this country you play football with a sponge ball in a church hall you know where everyone <laughs> just runs after <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's moments in this yeah. game where, where it does is is a bit kick and run yeah. but, but not to, to take away mm. some of the quality on show because there is a lot of quality of course but it, it's quite crazy in that in that second half and and, and the, the, you think it's the 29th game of the season this has been quite a long yes, season exactly. the two teams are really 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 going for it and I think mm. Dynamo Kiev's famous fitness, you can see they're that little bit, I think, less fit than uh, than Spartak Moscow, who I think in the end actually do end up running them into the ground. But, I mean, a special mention here, I think um, Ivan Yeremchuk um, plays on the wing, number 11, uh, for uh, Dynamo Kiev. I think he was early, he was plucked by Lobanovsky out of like the third division. Mm-hmm. Real sort of hard-working winger. And he's, I think, perhaps the biggest thorn in the Spartak Moscow side in the first half and parts of the second half. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I mean, the game, like I say, the, the, the crazy, hectic nature of the game, it's either going to take a mistake, which of course we saw for the first goal, or it's going to take a moment of quality. And my goodness, was there a moment of quality. So it's still 1-1 yeah. with a minute to go. <laughs> yeah, we know they need to are losing at home to, to Nipro, so we know Nipro have, have got the win to kind of put the pressure on. Free kick. Yeah. Shmarov. 28 yards out. 
It's quite far out. It's quite. It's, it's not close. It's not yeah. close. There's, I mean, it's worth looking at this, this YouTube clip, which we will um, put on social media, because there's a wonderful angle from behind the goal where you see the technique, and he side-foots it over the wall, and it just curls away from the goalkeeper into that top corner. It is his absolute peach. And also, like, who are the guys that... Viktor Chanov, um, he was unfortunate to be born, to be playing at the same time as the great Renat Desaev, but he's a very competent goalkeeper. He saves, he saves everything, usually. If he can't reach it... Nobody can. Mm. And also you look at Shmarov, he's taking a left footer. He's actually a right footer, but he's been practicing with his left throughout the whole season. He reckons he can score eight out of 10 of those. Mm-hmm. This is many, many years later as he talks about it. But actually, if you watch the game, he keeps on shooting with his left, keeps on shooting with his left. So he's certainly prying himself for this moment. Mm-hmm. But there is an additional twist in this. Was he even supposed to take this? Because Spartak, this is a retake. Um, oh, right. this is so this is something yeah, you, that's actually cut out on the YouTube because um, I think possibly someone took the original tape and watched those five minutes, last five minutes a bit too much so they had to <laughs> actually, I actually think it's genuinely the case so they had to add the, the other five minutes from mm. the post-match review so they have to retake because I think the wall isn't far back, back far enough or something anyway, the referee is not ready so the guy who's also might be taken is Rodionov. He's right-footed, but he says he's a little bit tired. He has to snack it, can't, can't do this. So then there's Gennady Morozov, the fullback, who sort of has been practicing these things as well. And you can actually see that as Shmarov runs in, the fullback actually makes, begins to make a run as well before going, oh, well, he's already going, so I might as well go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I might as well sort of let him go. Uh, and afterwards, when you speak to Morozov or you speak to Shmarov, you know, the other one has a different side to the story. But mm-hmm. ultimately, there is a little bit of confusion, maybe confuses Dinamo as well. And it's a Shmarov with his left foot. Mm. And it's a beautiful goal and it, and it wins them the league. It wins, it wins them the game, wins them the league. One of the iconic, but also perhaps, you know, they have the Marco Tardelli moments uh, that, yeah. Yeah, from 82. This is this, this still picture of uh, Shmarov running off. I think Rodionov after him. The sheer joy. Um, it's, uh, it is that iconic Russian moment. Uh, well, iconic moment from Soviet football history. It certainly is, yeah. Um, and of course, the two sides, I mean, they would go on for what, another season or two. In 1991, the league was disbanded because of the, you know, that, that was when Ukraine became properly an independent nation, if I'm right in saying that. Forgive me if that's wrong, historians. But certainly it was around that time when the Soviet Union sort of finishing and, and they go their respective ways in, in, in terms of domestic football. But the, the, the sides, they would meet again in the Champions League in the mid-90s. For for a feisty old affair, but it's 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 an under. I mean, again, just because of the whole Western, Eastern, European thing, my knowledge of that, and I'm sure a lot of other people's, is that Spartak Moscow and Dynamo Kiev is such a fierce rivalry, and it's so seeped in history, which of course you've you've explained for us there. Well, both of you have, you know. Um, but it, that was an incredible end to that 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 season, and and for for I mean, I know you're um, you're a Liverpool man these days, of course, but, but back in those days, you were a Spartak Moscow. The man. heart is warm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's, um, but it's, it's interesting um, to, to actually to, to, to go to a Dinamo Kiev player on this uh, very timely Leonid Buryak um, had an interview recently uh, and he, um, uh, he he said that Spartak Moscow Dinamo Kiev was a bit like Barcelona Real Madrid for the Soviet Union but even in the style in which they played yeah. so I think it's kind of sort of fits that on so many levels yeah 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 and am I right in saying that the, 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 the Dynamo Kiev ultimately in Ukraine would feel a little bit hard done by when Ukraine and Russia went their separate ways because Russia took the coefficients and, and some of the best players and, and that. yeah I mean even even this particular game uh, it's actually um, interesting listening to the commentator because I, I forgot about these bits o- on the bench uh, for Dinamo Kiev in this game is Viktor Onopko 
who would, who is uh, who would who is from Lugansk, um, Eastern Ukraine, of course. Now we know it's in the middle of a war. Uh, who would go on to play for Spartak Moscow in played Russia? Played against Blackburn and yeah, exactly played. And mm. he, the guy he played with, Yuri Nikiforov from Odessa, he's currently doing his military service at this time at mm. Dynamo Kiev. So he just scored for the reserves the day before. He would go on to play with an opco against Blackburn and also play for Russia. Uh, another man who is on the bench for Dynamo Kiev is Andrei Kachelskis, ah. who would go on to play for Russia. Uh, so again, I think because the prospects for international football mm-hmm. were so much better yeah. uh, in the early 90s, the, basically the Russians and Spartak Moscow nicked those players who could have yeah. stayed on um, on the Ukrainian side. And of course, they would have been under the CIS in, or was that 92? CIS 92. And then 94, was that Russia or CIS? So, yeah, so I mean, the Russia World Cup 894 was messed up because... Um, there was a letter, of, famous letter of 14. 14 players signed a letter basically complaining about about the way the team was run, the manager and everything like that. And so we the, also have a big piece on that on Blizzard by yes. Eco Rabin. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But basically, <laughs> yeah, but Russia, the CIS and Russia mm. played in international tournaments. Ukraine would have to wait until what, 2006? That's the fair first World Cup they yeah, made. The first yeah. World Cup, of course, which they did uh, perform very well at. But it, it's it's also interesting the way that these I think sort of end of an era for, for this as well. Not just because the country fell apart, the league fell apart, but for a lot of these players, because a lot of Dynamo Kiev players leave in 1990 when Lobanovsky goes to the Middle East. Seems the times were changing, the, the way the football was being run was changing. I think he was a little bit disillusioned, so he doesn't even stay for the title in 1990. Um, in 1991, virtually this whole Spartak Moscow team is left by then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think apart from Chechesov um, and I think maybe Cherenkov returns, but a lot of these guys are left as well because of the new opportunities for you know to earn money abroad because one of the big reasons of obviously these Russian players and Ukrainian players former Soviet players didn't succeed in the 90s they just ended up in a completely different world like um, you mean you could I mean Abbal uh, talks about uh, going to uh, Israel and he was getting like $40,000 a year he thought that was okay some other Soviet players managed to get 120 Yeah, but they like honestly these people would have I mean they would have been been traveling abroad from an early age, but the concept of money of course, yeah. in the USSR and the was, was completely different. Yeah. Again, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of clubs struggled with this new world because they just didn't know how to fund themselves anymore, mm-hmm. apart from Spartak, because they spent the whole history doing it. Dynamo Kiev trying to play in, in like in a new independent country, a weaker league. I think this is something that was only appreciated a number of years down the line. The fact that, yes, all these independent leagues were all that much weaker because they only had mm. one, two, maybe in Russia's case, six or seven strong sides. And you sides. see exactly the same thing happens in Yugoslavia as well. Exactly, yeah. yeah when, when, yeah, the, the Croatian. Or you know, look at look at what happened after unification in Germany. Yeah, yeah. East I, German sides until RB Leipzig mm-hmm. did nothing. And but again, a lot of those East German sides were swindled. Uh, yeah, yeah. In, in in the late eighties, early nineties, because they, what market forces? What <laughs> like they like? What is this thing? Indeed. Oh, this guy's offering us some new cars. We'll indeed. take that. Um, indeed. Although some of those Ukrainian Russian sides have certainly tried to make up for lost time, haven't they? In terms of their finances and so on and so forth. But there we are. Less said about that, the better. Sasha, it's been a pleasure talking to you about uh, all this. Um, I'm glad you could go down memory lane with Spartak <laughs> Moscow, one of their Thank famous you. league title wins and, and, and so on and so forth. And as Jonathan said a number of times, you know, if, for more stories like this, go to theblizzard.co.uk because their Eastern European football is definitely well catered for over there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, pleasure, Sasha. Pleasure, Jonathan. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week, of course, with a great game from football history. See you then. This was a Stakhanov production.